Well, once again, we are in the book of Romans, continuing along, Romans chapter 10. And I want to give a quote from Henry Mahan with some verses that he references to. I've titled this morning's message, God's Righteousness. Henry Mahan wrote these words. He says, those who are elected to life in Christ shall be saved. And he quotes from John 6, verses 37 through 40. Very familiar words that you and I know. Uh, some by heart. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Everyone who is elected to life in Christ shall be saved, as we just read. But they shall be brought to repentance and faith by the means which God has appointed. And, and he's, he gives us these scriptures to show us how God has appointed us to receive faith and repentance. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we are bound to give thanks always, God, for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning... Now this is how the Lord brings us to repentance and faith. From the beginning hath chosen, chosen you to salvation through... So you've been... This is how he brings us. He brings us... He chooses us. He chooses to bring us through the sal, to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit. That means the setting aside, taking out of, taking out of the world, and setting us aside, making us holy before God. Through the sanctification of the Spirit, and there's another thing to this verse, and belief of the truth. That's how we're saved. We're saved, we are brought to repentance and to faith, through the sanctification of the Spirit, that being made holy by the Spirit, and belief of the truth. And then he quotes this also from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. Mark chapter 16. We are brought to redemption, to repentance, and to faith by the means that we just saw there through the, through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And here in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, we read these words. And he said unto them, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He also says over in first, go back to your text in Romans. He also says over in First Corinthians one twenty one, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Henry goes on to write that. He says it is on that premises, the premises that God brings us to repentance and faith through the sanctification of the Spirit, belief in the Holy Truth, and the foolishness of preaching, that Paul wrote these words to, to Timothy. And it's recorded in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Therefore I endure, writes Paul, all things for the elect's sake. He endured all the troubles that he was going through, the persecutions that he was going through. We endure all the persecutions that we go through for the sake that maybe God has one of his elect to see what we have to go through. People are watching us. They see how we deal with things. 
Are we just throwing our hands in the air and saying, oh, how unlucky I am? No. God's people are saying, what a burden. They're not, we're not, I'm not trying to make light of your burden at all. We don't make light of our burdens, but we sure do know who brings them our way, don't we? Like Paul, we glory in our persecutions. Therefore, Paul writes, I endure for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 through 21, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God Almighty, through his Son, the Lord Jesus, is reconciling us to himself not imputing our trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Henry closes his statement with these thoughts. He says, A belief in sovereign grace that destroys prayer for sinners, evangelistic and missionary zeal, and a sincere invitation to all men to bow to the claims of Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior is not the Lord is not of the Lord and is a false doctrine. Now, I want to stop for just a moment and think about this. I've shared with you the discussion I had with my aunt recently. Don't you folks believe that you must come to Christ? You must call upon Christ? And my answer to her was, absolutely. Folks, when Gene preached to John Reeves that day, he told me, he told me of a Savior. He invited me to come to that Savior, to come to the throne of grace. We invite those to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But those that come know that we would not have come unless, unless Christ had given us a new spirit to throw... This, and, and you know, I, I feel so insufficient in my argument, in, in, my, in what, my presentation back to her, even though it was God's Word, I didn't express it properly as, as far as I'm concerned. We do invite those to come. But if you don't tell them who it is that gives them the, the, the ability to come, then all you're doing is talking to dead people. We do invite. I've invited my son to come hear me preach in Madisonville in three weeks. He's agreed to come. <laughs> I don't know what the Lord's going to do with it, but we do invite. I told her, and I, I don't know if I was expressive enough about it, since absolutely we do invite. We do encourage you to come to Christ. John came to Christ. I received God in my heart because He made me willing in the day of His love. That's what they don't tell us. That's what they don't tell the people. They tell the people it's up to you to decide now. God has offered it. Now you've got to do something. And that's not what Scripture tells us at all. It's of grace, not of works. That's what we have to tell them. We're saved by grace through faith. God-given faith. If you stand before people and all you do is declare that you can't come to Christ, then you've missed giving the gospel that you can if Christ is giving you life. Our Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He calls himself the author and the finisher of our faith. When we speak about the gospel, we have to take the whole counsel of God's word. Both sides. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1 with me. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Isn't that what we're talking about here? 
My heart's desire is that my son might be saved. But I know that he won't be unless God does a work in his heart first. And I have to make that clear to him. I want to invite him to, to, to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord offered life. Did you know that? He offered life. He said, if you do this and don't do that, you can have life. It's called the law. Not one man, woman, or child outside of Christ Jesus ever could walk that walk. No, that walk pointed us to know that we have a need. We can't. We can't walk that walk. We can't accept that offer. Dead people can't do anything. The Jews hated Paul for his gospel. They rejected the message of the cross, yet he expressed again and again and again his deep love for them. My son hates the gospel of Christ. My children hate the gospel of Christ, yet it is my greatest desire that they might be saved. Folks, we must never cease to pray for our unbelieved loved ones. We must never cease to pray for God's ordained means for their conversion. Look at verse 2. Paul says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal, a devotion of God, but not according to knowledge. Folks, these people weren't atheists. They believed that there was a God. They were about as religious as you could be. They had a zeal for the law and the ceremonies, but they were ignorant. Now that doesn't mean that they were stupid. That means that they didn't know something. They didn't know grace. They saw the Word of God and they thought, my only way to get it is to, to attempt to do the best I can. That's what the religious folks of the world are doing now. They see the Word of God. I've got to come down and accept something. I've got to do something. I've got to get into the baptism. I've got to show up on Sunday. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. That's exactly what these folks were doing in the old days. In the days of Israel, they were trying to earn their salvation by what they were doing. They didn't know. They were ignorant to grace. They didn't understand the spirituality nor the purpose of the law and the ceremonies were to point them to the one who would fulfill it for them. Yeah, they were sincere, all right, but they were sincerely wrong. You and I were very sincere at whatever it was we walked in one day before the Lord gave us life, but we were sincerely wrong. How will they know the truth lest one be sent to speak the truth? Isn't that what we read in John 17, 3? And this is life eternal, that they might know thee. Not that they might know this, the ceremonies, not that they might know the law, not that they might do this or do that, but that they might know our Lord and Savior personally. I've hammered this late in my recent messages, and I'm going to hammer it again today in both of these messages. It's grace experienced. You must experience grace. You must experience the grace of God on you being a deserving sinner of hell, wrath, and damnation, and that wrath and damnation being put upon our Savior. That's grace experienced. Look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. That's my title for this message for today's study, the righteousness of God. They were ignorant of the purity and the holiness of God's law. They thought their little humanistic ability to do whatever it was they were doing would be enough. But it's not. It has to be perfect. It has to be holy. 
Not one part of the law can go unpunished. And Christ Jesus took all of our punishment upon Himself. Every drop of it. They were also ignorant of the strictness of God's justice. Listen to the words of Galatians 4.21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not hear how it condemns you? Paul was going through that same motion that they were. He saw the worthlessness of their motions. He saw the, the, the inability that was there for a human, a natural man to do the perfection that God requires. Tell me, yea, that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear what it says? Do you not hear the law? In Galatians 3.10, we read these words, For as many are as under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. They were trying to merit acceptance with God on the strength of their own works, their own deeds, their own religious duties. And they were passionate about their duties. I heard somebody one time say, you know, I've never met any religious person more holy who go about saying they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they come out to the, it was, a, it was a camp or something. Somebody was telling me this, this man, I, this, we've got all kinds of religions come to this camp. And uh, I was making a delivery to their campground or some, some religious campground. And they, he says, we've got all these different religions that come here. He says, and the one in two weeks where the Jehovah Witnesses show up, the camp is just as, it's way more prettier than it was when they showed up. Those folks are so holy. I'm, I'm thankful they left the campground better than, they, they, than when they were there. But what we do on this earth makes that, does not make us holy. These folks were religious, very religious. They thought that their strength was in their works and their deeds. Is that not a picture? of the Christian religions that we have today. See what we have accomplished? Look at all the people that we brought into this church. There's 2,000 people that come to this church twice on Sunday mornings to hear our messages. Don't you see how good we are? Don't you see how good we preach? Don't you see how God has blessed this ministry? I'd rather be right here with the five of you, seven of you, eight of you, whoever's on the tech TV there. I don't know who joined us on the internet, but I'd rather be right here with you than 2,000 people in a goat barn down the street. I've heard our pastor. You've heard him too. I'd rather be in a bar with a bunch of drunkards than in one of them goat barns down the street. These folks refused to submit to the true righteousness, the righteousness which is Christ Jesus in the flesh on the cross. And the glory is in His righteousness. The divine method of acceptance and justification requires nothing but to be submitted and received by us from the Lord Jesus. Listen to John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received Him. See, we received Christ. We received Christ in our hearts. Once we've been made alive to do anything. Once we've been quickened. Once the light has been commanded to shine in our hearts. That comes first. I was thinking about that this morning. I think I might preach on that when I go to Danville. Or maybe... Frank Tate's place, or maybe I'll do it David Evans. I don't know what I'm going to preach at those three places yet, but I got to, I was thinking about a message on that very thing, the cart before the horse. That's really what it's all about when you're talking about your will against God. Not only are you raising yourself up to be above God, but you're putting the cart way out there in front. You're saying this cart is pulling the horse. 
many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name but even at that no one will receive him until God first does the work giving life to a dead soul look at verse 4 with me for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth now there's a couple of things that I want to suggest here first is the embracing of Christ for salvation means the end of the law for us. It means the end of the law as a method of justification. It doesn't mean the end of the law. The law is still there. The law is good. Oh, how I desire to walk the law better than I do now. Don't you? Folks, I told you this last Sunday. If sin doesn't bother you, if your sin doesn't bother you, you may want to sit down and reconsider what it is you believe. God's people, sin bothers us. We abandon all hope in ourselves and we look to Christ as the one who fulfilled the law for us. Secondly, secondly, we see in this verse, the goal of the law is to bring the sinner to Christ. This is why it is given to us. Look over Galatians. Hold your place. Look over Galatians chapter 3. The law is our, is our schoolmaster. It's to teach us that what we cannot do, our Savior has done for us. It's to glorify our Lord in us looking to Him for everything, including and especially our, our righteousness. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, that we might be set apart, that we might be made holy by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Once God has given us the faith to believe, to believe that Christ Jesus is our righteousness, to have no confidence in this flesh, but have all the confidence in our Savior, then the law is no longer our schoolmaster. Thirdly, the law contains terms of life. Do this and live. Christ is the end of those terms. For he has fulfilled what we could not. We're no longer under the law as a covenant or a curse. Verse 5, back in our text, Romans chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. The righteousness of the law lies in doing perfectly all that the law requires, not only in deed, but also in thought, in attitude, and in motive. We've heard this saying before, a man who tills his, his ground, tills the pasture, tills the, the ground to grow food for his family. If he doesn't do it in the glory of his Savior, the Lord Jesus, he does it in sin. Because that's what man is without Christ. We are sin. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. You recall we just looked at these not too long ago. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now look at verses 6 and 7 of our text back in Romans chapter 10. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise Say not in thine heart who shall ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. Now I'm going to quote from a man by the name of John Brown. And I, I got to be honest with you, I, 
I'm not going to say much about these two verses because I don't know that much, but I thought this might bring a little light to it for those of you who need it. He says, do not think that divine justification depends on something to be done by you or I or anything else. There is no need to say who shall ascend to heaven to bring the Messiah down. He, was all, he has already come and has performed the work which He came to do. He has finished our righteousness and redemption. There is also no need to say who shall descend into the deep to bring Him up from the grave. For He is risen. He is risen for our justification and intercedes for us. The Gospel which reveals it tells you that the all-sufficient Savior is to believe and to be received. Let's go on now, if you would, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach. Let's read verse 9 too. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In other words, you can't go into the into the great you can't go into heaven and bring the Lord down. You can't go into the depth and bring him up. But believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confession of Christ with the mouth is to make a sincere, hearty confession to God before men that Christ Jesus is our prophet to reveal God to us. He is our priest to atone for us. He is our Lord to reign over us. When this is our experience, we confess it in believers' baptism. To believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead is to believe that He came to this earth as God in the flesh. And you can read that in John 1.14. It is to believe that He truly died on the cross for our sin as we read in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It is to believe that the sacrifice was effectual and sufficient for our God raised His Son from the dead to prove it. That's in 1 Corinthians 5, 13 through 22. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10 of our study, and we'll close with that. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now the Apostle Paul is explaining the nature of faith. It's not based on just mental ascension or a doctrinal knowledge. No, it is a genuine heart work, faith, or grace experienced. It is a Believing with the affections of your heart, it is believing with our will and our understanding of His power and our inability. It is to behold the Son in His glory, in His fullness, in His willingness, and His sufficiency to save. Through this faith, we are saved and we are justified. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8-9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should, build, should boast. And then in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, writes Paul, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen.